What a great saviour it is that we worship that Jesus would come to seek and save the lost. Think on that, that we worship a saviour who seeks out those who otherwise have no hope. And that is us. And that is why we can sing with the words of amazing grace, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Let us pray. Father God, we pray... Father God, we pray that as we open up your word today, that we hear you speaking to us and that your word would take effect on our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Christ, that we might set aside all vanity and sit humbly under your word, meeting you, experiencing you, and seeing you where you promise to be present in the preaching of your gospel. Holy Spirit, reveal to us on this day who we are in light of Christ. Help us to see truly the glory of the cross and the splendor of our Saviour. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Okay. Hello everyone. My name is Jordan and I'm the youth pastor here at Subi. It is a great joy to be up here this morning. Uh, to be able to preach to you. This is my first sermon, my first weekend preaching at Subi, and so I'm not going to lie, I'm very, very nervous, but I think that's because every week we have such wonderful sermons. We have such wonderful pastors here who preach and expound God's Word clearly and faithfully, and so there's big shoes to fill, and so my prayer on this day is that I will do the same as that, that I will preach clearly and faithfully. I'm going to ask you all now to stand for the reading of the Word of God. Our reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You may be seated. Today I would like us to consider three things from this parable. First of all, the two men, who were they and what, and, and what is it about them? What do their prayers reflect? Their two prayers and finally their two results. And so the two men, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. You see, the parable revolves around these two figures But in the 21st century, our only experience of these groups of men is looking back and seeing their interactions with Jesus as we read about them in the scriptures. And in that sense, we see the Pharisees in a rather negative light. They're always the ones that are clashing with Jesus. They're always part of the main opposition against Jesus. And so that is the way that we see them. In a similar manner, we see the tax collectors in a rather positive light because of Jesus' interactions with them. We're actually looking at two of those interactions tonight. And so we kind of go, okay, well, the Pharisees, they're, they're bad guys. You know? The tax collectors, well, you know, 
yeah, they've got to do their job sort of thing. But the question that we need to ask of the parable is who were they to the people of their day, to the hearers of this parable? You see, it's important for us to ask this question because parables are normally shocking. According to the Old Testament, parables are actually a sign of judgment. They're there to, they're there to harden hearts, but they're also there to draw people in who have ears to hear. And they start off with something and then Jesus will twist it around and he'll aim it at the heart and that is what the parables are meant to do. But what is shocking about this parable? Is it two bad guys go up to the temple to pray or is it something else happening? So let us consider who these men were. The Pharisees. Josephus, the Jewish historian in his antiquities, says this. The Pharisees are, as a matter of fact, extremely influential among the lay people. And all prayers and sacred rites are performed according to their exposition. This is the great tribute, that the inhabitants of the cities, by practicing the highest ideals, both in their way of living and in their discourse, have paid to the excellence of the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees were the most influential, they were the most popular leaders amongst the Jewish people. The term Pharisee means separated one, and in a real way, they set themselves apart as the moral example for the people. They set themselves apart unto God. You see, they weren't driven by politics. They weren't about sucking up to the ruling class. They were passionate about maintaining their identity as God's people in the midst of an ever-increasingly popular Greco-Roman culture. They said, no, we must not give in to the shifting sands of the culture. We must stand on the law of God. With one scholar saying if the Pharisees had a slogan, it would be the whole life governed by the law of God. The whole life governed by the law of God. For many, the Pharisees were the guardians of the faith. They were the purest form of Israel. They were the champions of Judaism. What is the point? Well, the point is that when Jesus presents a Pharisee in this parable, he is presenting a champion of the people, a disciplined man a devout man, a respected man. And so what about the tax collectors? At the time that Jesus told this parable, the Jews were under Roman occupation. That meant that they needed to, be tax- they needed to pay taxes to Rome. And the way that the Romans would do this was they would run a census over the land, they would get an idea of the population and the worth and the land and the produce. And they would, and they would, break, they would break the land into, into pockets and they would franchise it out. They'd say, this land is worth this much to us. And they would auction it off. And the highest bidder, usually a Roman citizen, would bid on the land. And then whoever won that bid would then have the right to tax that land. They would then recruit local people underneath them, a chief tax collector and then other tax collectors who would be responsible for drawing the money out of the people, extracting the money from the people. This meant that tax collectors, if anything, were a constant reminder of foreign oppression. That is what they were. They were close with the Gentiles, which meant they were unclean. They, worked for, they were public violators of the law, which was the exact opposite to the Pharisees. And I think it's hard to capture in words the collective despise of the people towards the tax collectors. And I was trying to think of a modern-day example, and one, that, one of the only ones that I could think of was, we all know what is happening in Ukraine. Now let us imagine for a moment that Russia were to eventually occupy Ukraine and then recruit Ukrainian people, offering them huge financial incentives then to go in and tax their own people, to draw money out of their own people, to line their pockets, the pockets of their other Russians and of the Russian oligarchy. Now can you imagine the hatred towards these other Ukrainians? Can you imagine 
the despised. Well, that, my friend, is a tax collector. That's him right there. Which man gets to heaven? Which man goes home justified? Which one are you? That's the question that we need to ask of the parable. You see, the parable is not heard as a hypocrite, a Pharisee, and a thief, a tax collector, went up to the temple to pray. The the parable is heard as a champion and a nothing, a champion and a nobody, a champion and a traitor went up to the temple to pray. Let us consider their prayers. Two prayers. The prayer of the Pharisee. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. Now notice something. Notice that both these men set themselves apart. It says the Pharisee stood by himself and for the tax collector it says that he stood at a distance. And I think we'll understand why as we examine their prayers. You see, the Pharisee, he's happy to throw God a line. I thank you, God. That's a good start to prayer. I thank you, God. He is sincere. If it weren't for you, God, I couldn't have done it. But what is God's role in his achievement? What is God's part in his claim to righteousness? You see, God is merely the enabler. God is merely the enabler. We can tell this just by considering the personal pronouns of his prayer. Five times he says, I, 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 I. That's a lot of eyes. That's a lot of eyes. And so you see the real subject of this prayer is himself. I thank you, God, as he stands apart from others. I thank you, God, as he stands apart, that I am not like others, that I'm not like them, and especially not like him over there, that tax collector. But is this how our righteousness works with God? Does he merely enable us to live a life where we obey the law and then we stand before him as righteous so that one day we can stand before God and say, God, I thank you for what you've done for me. Look at, what I, look at my life. It's righteous. Look at what I've done. I stand here clothed in my own righteousness. Is this what God does for us? You see, the problem for the Pharisee is not that he is ungrateful, It is not that he is insincere. It is not that he hasn't worked hard, but that he believes that he is righteous in the sight of God because of what he has accomplished. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. He not only does what the law commands, but he goes over and above. You see, he wants a safeguard. He doesn't want to scrape it thin. He wants to know that he is righteous. The law doesn't require him to fast twice a week. The law doesn't require him to give a tenth of all that he gets. He's going over and above, only a tenth of some things. You see, he not only, and you see, he not only does what it requires, but he's set on being righteous in the sight of God. But what is the biggest problem? What is his biggest problem? His biggest problem is this, that he has left nothing to the mercy of God. He's left nothing to the mercy of God. He has left no room for grace. Remember that they're in the temple They're in the place that represents the presence of God. They're looking at the altar and they're reminded by the daily sacrifices on that altar, by the constant sacrifices on that altar, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. There is no forgiveness of sin. And then he looks at that and he has no room for mercy, no room for grace. 
He has failed to count the cost of his sin because he is doing the works of the law. He's too busy, he's too busy comparing himself to other people that he fails to examine the condition of his heart. And if he would, he would see that it was riddled with sin. Are you failing to examine the condition of your heart? Are you busy looking at your accomplishments and comparing yourself to others that you forget who you are when you come before a holy God? Now, there's a sneaky trap here in the parable, and I don't want us to miss it. The Pharisee inside of all of us looks at the Pharisee and might go, I thank you, God, that I'm not like him. I never pray like that. I never do this. I never do that. I don't do this. I don't do that. And at that very moment, are we not doing the same thing that the Pharisee is doing, comparing ourselves to other people? There's something else that's worth mentioning, and I think, I think it captures it well. There's, within Christian circles, there's a catchphrase, there's a saying, and it goes like this. There goes I, but for the grace of God. There goes I, but for the grace of God. Now, if we are looking at another person and saying, there goes I, but for the grace of God, are we not saying, I thank you, God, that I am not like other men? I thank you, God, that I am not like him. Now, if I'm looking at my own life, if I'm looking at my own life before Christ and I'm looking back and I say, there goes I, but for the grace of God, fine. But the moment that I look to another person and compare myself to them and say, there goes I, but for the grace of God, am I not making a judgment about that person standing before God? Am I not making a judgment about that person's heart? And that is the very thing that Jesus is confronting here. Let us consider the prayer of the tax collector. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Just like the Pharisee, he sets himself apart. He stood at a distance, not because of self-righteousness, but the very opposite, because of a great sense of unworthiness. Here is humility on display, according to Jesus. Here is a man aware of his sin under God. And the irony is the very things the Pharisee said about him are likely the things that he thinks about himself. He comes in, I am a thief. I am an evildoer. I have betrayed my own people. And he looks to God and he sees who he is. He would not even look up to heaven, which was common in prayer. It was common to say, Father, it was common to look up and say, God. He would not even look up to heaven, but he bowed his head in submission, shame and unworthiness and beating his breast, only done in the most severe emotional circumstances, he said, God have mercy on me. Now, this is a pretty incredible parable. I'd say it's almost like a gold nugget of parables and that is because of something that we're going to look at here. You see, it's here that our English translations in some sense let us down, in my opinion, because the word for mercy here is not actually the common word used for mercy. This is actually quite a rare word, and the word means to propitiate. What does this word mean, to propitiate? It means to quench the wrath of God. It means to pay the price demanded by God's justice as the result of our sin. That's what the word propitiate actually means. Propitiation is what it means for God to be both merciful and just. And so what the tax collector is saying is, I cast myself on you that you might pay the price of my sin, that you might satisfy your wrath as a holy God that stands over me, a sinful man. And so he looks down and he beats his breast, 
beats his breast and with a heart's cry he said, Lord, be propitious to me, a sinner. You see, not only has he left room for mercy, all he has is mercy. All he has is God. All he has is an empty-handed prayer, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Who are you? When you pray, do you come empty-handed? Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. This is the beginning of prayer. This is the starting point for the Christian before God. And I think the great reformer John Calvin actually captures this beautifully when he says this. The person who comes into the presence of God must rid themselves of all vain, glorious thoughts, lay aside all idea of worth, in short, discard all self-confidence, humbly giving God the whole glory, lest by claiming anything, however little for themselves, vain pride cause God to turn away his face. You see, we pray not to present ourselves before God for our righteousness sake, but for God's great mercies. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, do not for my sake, but for, the, but, for the holy, but for your holy name. And so what are the results of these men's prayers? Verse 14 says this. Jesus says this. I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Here is the twist. Here is the shock of the parable. What? A tax collector? But how? Jesus tells us, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. But notice this. That day that man cast himself on the mercies of God and that day, that hour, that moment, he was justified before God. But hey, this is just a parable. It's a great lesson, but did it ever really happen? That's the question. See, we look at it and we go, great, I know what humility is, but did it happen? Well, Luke doesn't leave us hanging. 27 verses later in the book of Luke. And within a week of Jesus telling this parable, Jesus is about to enter the city of Jericho. And the, and the great Scottish theologian Sinclair Ferguson says this. He says, he points out that parables being short, shocking stories that the word would have gotten out, and as it spread around, it almost certainly would have fallen on the ears of a particular chief tax collector, Zacchaeus. Did you hear what Jesus said? A tax collector left the temple justified, and a Pharisee didn't. What? Did you hear that? Did you? What? Did you? You must have it wrong. And then imagine Zacchaeus saying to his wife or his family or his servants, I must go and see him. I must go and see the man that says that I can be justified before God. Me, a chief tax collector. And so he goes and just to get a glimpse of Christ, he climbs the tree. And Jesus looks up and instead of seeing just a tax collector like everybody else, Jesus sees a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. And he says, I have come to seek and save the lost. Now, the difference between a Pharisee and a tax collector in this instance is that the Pharisee thought that he was found. He thought that he was on the right track, gaining a righteousness of his own and comparing himself to others, but he was actually lost. Whereas a tax collector knows just how lost he was and cast himself on the mercies of God. And just as it was for the tax collector in the parable, so it was for Zacchaeus. 
Friends, if we could be justified on our own, then there would be no need for Christ. This is what the Pharisee thought, but the humble know the extent of their sin. And I'm here to tell you that if you stand at the end of time before God on your own righteousness, you will not enter the kingdom of God. If God says to you, why should I let, to he- why should I let you into heaven? And you say, God, thanks to you I am great. Thanks to you I have been able to earn a righteousness of my own. Then you will not enter the kingdom of God. What do we get when we cast ourselves on the mercies of God in empty-handed repentance and faith? We get Christ. And in Christ, we get all things. Because Christ is a sufficient saviour. Any person that thinks that they can add to the righteousness of Christ is just a fool. That's all they are. Now, I want to add in a bit of a disclaimer here. I think the parable presents us with this idea, it possibly presents us with this idea that God doesn't care about the way that you live your life, but he does. And we see that with Zacchaeus when he repents of his sin, when he trusts in Jesus, we see a change in his life. He says, Lord, if I've wronged anyone, I'll pay back double. And so God does. But the way that we live are not the grounds for our salvation. They're not the grounds of our justification. They're not the grounds of our righteousness. They're the result of it. You see, we serve because he first served us. And in some sense for us as a Christian, we are deemed holy in Christ through faith and then the rest of our Christian life is laying hold of what we already possess. It's possessing our possessions. You see, we can get so caught up with comparing ourselves to others that we forget to consider the cost of our sin and cast ourselves on the mercy of God. But who are we in Christ? Who are we in Christ? Let us not forget something. Let us not forget that sin came through one man and death through sin. That it was one sin, one sin before a holy God that sent all of creation into groaning and decay and death. It was one sin before a holy God that rendered all of humanity guilty under God. One sin. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this side of heaven, I'm not going to be able to go any substantial period of time. If I'm serious with the motivations of my heart, if if I'm honest with myself, I'm not going to be able to go any substantial period of time without sinning. But is there a heart cry in you, is there a heart cry in me that says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Look to God and believe in Christ. Cast yourself on him. He is a sufficient saviour. Now, some of you here today, you might go, well, how did I get here? Why am I at Subi Church? And I would say that it's, it's uh, not a coincidence, that there's a reason God wants you to be here. And let me tell you that while I've been speaking, God has been doing his work on some of you and then for some of you, you will be hearing God's word to you. It'll be drawing on your heart and you'll be feeling the heart cry just with the tax collector saying, I am a sinner and I need God to be merciful to me. I'm telling you, look to what God has offered us in Christ. Let me tell you that today, if you believe, today, tonight, if you believe and you cast yourself on the mercies of God tonight, if you trust in Christ tonight, you will leave this church here now justified under God you see what we see in these men is not merely a profession of faith what we need is not merely a profession of faith but also the possession of faith right and I think that's something which is unfortunate in in 21st century Christianity they pray a sinner's prayer as if it were a magic formula as if it were a spell But remember that it's if you profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
There's a profession of faith. And then you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. There's a possession of faith. You have to believe it. You see, when the, Pharaoh, when the tax collector cast himself on the mercies of God, he believed it. And so that is what is required of us, to believe in God, to trust in him, to possess faith. Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. Jesus is the way that God can be merciful and just. Jesus died the death that you deserve, that you deserve to die, that you might have his life and life in him. The question for us to answer this today is, are you the Pharisee or the tax collector? Let us pray. Father God, you are a great God. You are so merciful to us, Lord, that although you are holy through Christ, we might come into your presence. We might be forgiven. We might be deemed as justified, as righteous. Everything that you've done points to the fact that you were going to send a saviour and that he was going to be our all in all, our great high priest, our good shepherd, Lord. And so we pray that each day when we pray, we might realise who we are before you, a holy God, that we might present ourselves and always cast ourselves on your mercies, on your goodness, on your grace, that we might come to you always, Lord, in humility and faith, just as the tax collector. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.